Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Michael Semptleber to the show. Michael is the Chief Technology Officer of Arrive Logistics, one of the fastest growing freight brokerages in the United States. He's responsible for Arrive's technology vision, strategy, and execution. Michael leads Arrive's technology group as well as Arrive Edge, which is Arrive's own software development technology company within the walls of Arrive Logistics. As Chief Technology Officer, Michael will lead the Edge team to engage with transportation partners and internal users to build technologies that drive efficiency, transparency, and best-in-class service. Michael brings more than 20 years of product management and technology experience to Arrive. He also holds a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science from the University of Florida, an MBA from the University of Texas at Austin, and a Master's of Art from Texas State. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Great to be here, Shelley and Patrick. Uh, Michael, if you don't mind, can you share with our listeners, for those who are not aware, what is Arrive Logistics? Sure. Um, and admittedly, before I engaged with Arrive Logistics, I also didn't know what Arrive Logistics is. But we are, uh, as Patrick mentioned, a fast-growing freight brokerage. And in the United States, um, the freight industry is about an $800 billion industry. And about 10% of that, about $80 billion, goes through brokerages. And a brokerage really is, um, just like any other marketplace brokerage, we connect uh, people with freight shippers, who are our customers, with our partners, carriers, who have the trucks. And so all day, every day, we're working with our customers to make sure that they've got capacity for their freight to get to where it needs to go. Um, And the model is basically an internal marketplace. We've got almost uh, a thousand people, about Seven, eight hundred of them are sales reps, half of which are on the uh, customer shipper side and the other half are on the carrier side. And their job is really to build relationships with these shippers and carriers all day, every day so that we can help them move their freight and ensure everything goes smoothly with a high level of service. Uh, that's amazing that you're close to a thousand employees because I think I read that you were a 10 person team back in 2014. <laughs> that's huge growth. In, indeed, uh, Matt Pyatt and Eric Dunnigan, our uh, founders, really started this, just the two of them with a handful of people they knew. Um, they had some brokerage experience in the past, but they, they really thought that there would be a better way to do this with the right people, the right attitude, and building those relationships. And they've grown the company like crazy, huge growth story. And it's been all with people. And of course, when you're building a business with people, you have to, as you grow the business, you have to scale the number of people. And they did that. They built these relationships and they built a huge business. But now it's time to really power that next phase of growth with technology. So we continue to have all the great people we have, but we can continue to scale the business without having to scale up as many people. And speaking of talent, how did they find you, Michael? Um, I was brought in through some conversations with our board. Um, 
Lead Edge Capital is one of our primary investors. They also were investors in the previous company I was at. And the board came in looking at what Eric and Matt Pyatt and the team had done and said, wow, what you guys have done is amazing, but there's a real opportunity here for technology and not just uh, old fashioned IT, like, oh, we need, we need this, we need that, but product driven technology. And so what they thought was bring in some product leadership and really build out an organization focused on building technology as a modern technology company does with product management, UX design and research, engineering QA, DevOps, and do it all in the cloud. That's pretty awesome. It's interesting that concept of like, you know, the second level launch, right? There's that initiation, there's the business justification, product market fit, but then there's that next level of like, how do we, how do we continue to scale and grow and not have to, you know, add as many people, but still drive as much value to your customers. Cause you mentioned one of your, your goals is, you know, best in class service. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I found really interesting about your background uh, was that you had actually been a sales engineer, right? And I think that separates you from a lot of folks that we, we've talked to, that you have a very customer-focused approach to how you do things. You, uh, you understand that intimately of like from like being in the meetings and knowing what it's <laughs> like. A lot of things are great and theoretical until it's time to sign the paper. How do you think that's impacted you? Uh, and I, I think when we spoke, you said that's really something that you value that experience. How do you think that's impacted you as you lead this organization into that next level? Of course, it's a great question. And I think it's anybody who's in technology, you know, there's always the shiny object syndrome where it's like, oh, there's a new technology, there's a new thing. But unless you're really connected with the end user, the customer, the, either the person who's going to use it and or the person who's going to pay for it and understand what does their world look like? What do they operate in? How will they use your tools and services to better their goals and what they're trying to do? Then I think oftentimes you build technology for technology's sake and you miss the mark. And so from, as you mentioned, my sales engineer experience as well as my product management experience, it's really about not just jumping in and building, but jump in the boat with the customer, the end user, and understand what are they trying to accomplish? What environment are they in? What kind of tools are they currently using? And how best can you solve the challenge that they have? Not can you cram your solution <laughs> down their throat or, or can you build the thing they're asking for, but understand what are they trying to solve? And then in a very collaborative environment, work with them on what the best solution is. They may have, uh, metaphorical blinders on because they've only seen it done one way in their industry. One of the benefits of having uh, product leaders and technologists from other industries and other domains is we've seen different ways to accomplish similar problems. And it might be something that is very transferable to the industry that you're in now, but it just hasn't been done that way before. And so understanding what the end user, the customer is trying to solve and then working with them on what a potential solution could be is, I think, the way you get to solutions that actually drive business value. And you also get the user or the customer 
in the boat with you. They might not know how it works, but they understand the decisions that are going into it and really embrace and buy into the solution. I want to go a little bit deeper if that's okay on that subject. Like, so I think everybody understands that, but I think to get outside of the building, right. In a very, you know, uh, real sense, how do you do that? What do you, what do you have your product made? Do you have your tech leads? Do you, do you still meet with customers regularly? You know, how do you, how do you make that part of the the development process? Yeah. um, At Arrive, it's interesting because, the technology we're building really serves, uh, at the end of the day, it serves Arrive Logistics and Arrive's business. But the user base that we have is really three pieces. We've got the internal users, the thousand or so people who use our platform all day, every day. And it really is, the platform we've built is essentially the operating system of the of the business. It is, uh, reps use it seven, eight hours every day, all day. And so we've got that user base and our product managers and our designers meet with stakeholders within the business, but they also sit on the floor, literally uh, chair to chair with the reps, watching them do their job, asking, oh, wait, why did you do that? Or, oh, did you know that we offered this over here? And and just getting that real-time feedback. Uh, So that's one major user base. But then our platform also extends out to the shippers and out to the carriers. And when we're engaging with them, it's more of a traditional like SaaS kind of model where we schedule meetings with them. We do research. Um, our UX designers will go through screenshot comps of what we're thinking about building, kind of walk them through that flow and get their feedback. And so it is all the traditional tools that a software company would use to understand not only what these are trying to accomplish, but also how to share what we're thinking and if that would work before we go and build it. Because of course, it's less expensive to change it when you're in the world of design comps than it is after you've built it. Yeah, I use the phrase measure twice, cut once, right? Uh, like uh, the, This old house used to uh, reinforce and that was prototypes, right? So you Absolutely. doing a design sprint is way cheaper than spending three months building something nobody likes. So is that how, do you use those types of tools like design thinking and design sprints to, to validate before you, you put any kind of time or effort from the development standpoint? We do, yes. The uh, product management and UX design typically run out in front of development. So they obviously have the care and feeding of the development team as they're building things, making sure they have requirements and questions are answered. But they spend a lot of their time out in front understanding what is it we should be building next? What are the areas of highest value that we could be offering solutions? And doing that research in a very early phase. Of course, then bringing some of the engineers in as as well, because some of the best innovative ideas come from the engineers, the ones who actually know what is possible and what is already there. What might we be able to reuse pretty quickly to derive that value? So it's important to have the engineers up front um, but not they don't spend nearly as much time as PM and UX do in that discovery phase. No, that makes perfect sense. It's, I, I've seen the same results where, you know, even when it comes down to some ideation around, well, we could do that a little quicker, right? Like it's not to say no, it's to say, well, what is the business objective and we can help come up with potentially. And that's where I see a lot of, I used to use this metaphor that uh, the designers were 
where Congress, the clients, the president, <laughs> and the development teams, the judicial branch, they can tell you whether or not it's it's constitutional. <laughs> not that we need to talk more about anything political Sorry for bringing it up. Sorry. It's a great metaphor, but not a good time for it. Exactly. So <laughs> we'll revisit in 12 months. So, uh, well, you did also touch on another concept that I, I think is a real problem uh, when it comes to building the teams is, you know, you mentioned multiple domains that you're, you're not looking for people like everybody has to have 10 years of, of logistics or transportation experience. You're looking at people outside of that realm. And I know you touched on it a little bit, but, you know, why is that important to you? Why, how does that create more value for your teams and for, for Arrive? Well, I think it goes back to just the traditional diversity of thought. If everybody is building from the same core base of knowledge, you're just going to keep building the same things over and over. You might use a prettier UI. You might use a more modern tech stack, but you're just going to keep building the same thing over and over. And so anytime you're building a team, and whether this is in technology or anywhere else, I think bringing in that diversity of thought, diversity of background is wildly important to get those creative, innovative solutions to come out. It's also the pool of great talent out there. You're limiting yourself if you're just looking in your existing uh, domain. And so what I would rather do is understand what are the key roles that we need in a, in a technology organization, and then go do a pretty broad search for people with those skill sets and those roles, um, I can I can teach somebody what uh, what the domain of freight brokerage is. It's really hard to teach product management or great DevOps engineering. So I'd rather pull in the best talent and then figure out how we can ramp them up in the space. Now that's not to say there aren't phenomenal uh, people in the space already. And when we can get those, those are, you know, near unicorns because not only do they have the great skills, they also have that tribal knowledge and industry knowledge of, oh, we didn't do it that way because of this or that. And so that knowledge that they bring in can help the team not make common mistakes that the industry has already fixed, but also not limit the thinking. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of a balance, right? You're not going to say, hey, we don't want it, but uh, yeah. not let it. Because, I mean, uh, the unicorn comment is, is, a, is spot on, right? I need somebody who does Java, does AWS. They've got 15 years of, you know, transpo logistic experience. Like, okay, mm -hmm. well, yeah. good luck. Yeah, I'll hire them if I can find right. them. Right. But, <laughs> but I'm probably going to find some horses and zebras while I'm out looking for that unicorn. No, it makes, I, I think that's great. And I, I, I do agree. That, and I think uh, conversations everybody's having is about diversity and uh, diversity of thought, diversity of experience just you know, broadens that horizon. And so, uh, but you also mentioned when you, when you first started to go work at Arrive, you know, it, it seemed different than other places, right? just walking the floor of the brokerage and, and things like that. It did. I So uh, my previous few companies have been pure software, uh, B2B enterprise software in a SaaS environment. And when I came into Arrive, it was like a different world. It was amazing. It was It's a true brokerage. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at desks. They all had three monitors. 
they um, all had at least one desk phone. Some of them somehow got two desk phones and they looked like they were doing a hundred things at once, but it was, uh, it was kind of like right out of uh, an old movie of like a stock brokerage or just a quick sales transactional sales floor slash a uh, customer service help desk center. It was very much as people driven. They had all the tools in front of them and they were just moving a mile a minute. But when I looked over their shoulder and saw what they were doing, some of the tools looked like they were from the eighties, like installed windows applications, or they were, you know, on the phone with a truck driver who said he was in one city and they were Googling how to spell that city or, or where it was in relation to something else. And it was one of those things I was like, wow, what they're doing is amazing, but there's so many ways that technology could pull this together and provide them the right information at the right time in like workflows and in processes that allow them to not only do more, but do better. There's a you know, concept of not only are we trying to increase efficiency, being able to do more with fewer resources, but we're also trying to increase productivity doing more quality, doing better work. So technology can do wonderful things on both sides of the efficiency productivity uh, arc. And that's where I saw just the opportunity. And, and this is a place where not only can we deliver value, but we can walk the floors and see that value. We can roll something out and then five minutes later, talk to a rep on the floor who just used that feature to move a piece of business. That's great. That's great. And I, I'm, I'm inferring from your, your comments that installed Windows apps are not your preferred state. <laughs> no. I mean, are no, you, it, are you it, questioning my VB6 value at this point? I mean, I, am not, I got some I, cold fusion skills in there too, just in <laughs> case, uh, if you're hiring. No, 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 no. I, I think those are great skills to have, <laughs> um, but they're, but they're also limited. They're a little limited. And, you're right. And, you know, especially with uh, COVID and where things are now, us um, having rolled out and we did just before COVID really hit the U.S., um, we rolled out our platform, which is cloud first, and it enabled us to overnight. I think on Tuesday, we told people we were going to move to work from home. Half the office was work from home on Wednesday. The rest was work from home on Thursday. So virtually overnight, we went from a thousand people in butts and seats all day, every day to a full work uh, remote environment. We wouldn't have been able to do that on those installed applications. And so that is a place where using modern technology enabled us to be very responsive and agile. And the business kept going with, without, a, without a blip. People were still able to do all the things they needed to do to service our customers and ensure business is moving. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's a great story. Shelly, I wanted to make sure I'm not just running roughshod over you. No, you're you're good. I want to ask what's probably a silly question, but how quickly do those folks adopt the new technology? Because I think that can always be a concern. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that people, just as in every um, dimension of life, are on a spectrum. Some people, you could hand them a new tool and like within a few seconds, they're using it like the best of them. Other people, it's a little harder to adopt those tools. And so we, when we did roll out the new platform and when we did move to work from home, 
we moved into what I was calling a uh, hyper care. Like, let's be ultra responsive. We're not, we're not going to build as much and as big for a few months. Let's spend time making sure we are hyper focused on helping people understand how to use the tools, um, addressing questions, concerns, and those sorts of things. But it's also just a constant iterative layering of adding more and more capabilities and newer ways to do things while not uh, taking away what they had until they've moved over. And while on, on the one side of our technology organization, we're a software company building software, the other side is a traditional, not, I strike the word traditional, not in a bad way, but we are an enterprise IT shop. And our IT shop uh, really believes on partnering with the business and offering tools and technologies that really improve things. And so we've, you know, just, just this year, on top of many of the other things we've rolled out, we've rolled out Slack for internal communications, which at first a lot of people were hesitant about. And they're like, wait a minute, this is actually really nice. We can have all these conversations, keep up with things. Um, we moved to a, a modern uh, cloud-based phone system for apprehensive at first, like, oh, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to do all the things I could do? And it turns out, yes, you can. Plus, we get a lot more. And so I think it's important that not only are you constantly rolling out new capabilities and new tools, but that you're ensuring the adoption is there, that people not only know about the new thing, know how to use it, but are comfortable with it and are actually getting the productivity that they had hoped for. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. That that concept of partnering, like a good friend of mine, uh, great blog post a long time ago, wrote a great blog post called Killing the Business and had the business in quotes because too often, I think in the traditional enterprise IT, and I think there's a reticence to like associate with that of like the idea that like, we're the overlords and we're going to tell you what to do, but also waiting to be told what the business wants, where it's like uh, more and more. So the technology side of the house is the faster growing part of uh, the alleged, the business, like they're not the neighbors, right? You live there, right? You're part of the family. you got to You have a say and you should. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the interesting things about, from the software SaaS world where what the company was measured on is subscriptions, revenues, uh, all of those things of the software. But at the end of the day, our users were trying to accomplish something else. And so we, we had different motivations from our users. They were trying to solve some business problems. We were trying to sell software. Whereas in Arrive, the technology organization is completely and 100% aligned with what the business is trying to accomplish. It's about driving business value. And as I, um, you know, I mentioned before, improving um, uh, productivity, increased efficiency, uh, but also improving margins and growth and connectivity with our customers and shippers. Because it, it's the logistics space is actually incredibly interesting. But there are about 17,000 brokerages in the United States. Lots of them are very small owner operators, small companies, but these large shippers, they've got a choice of who they work with, who they can partner with. And so you can't just come to the table as a lot of technology companies do and say, well, this is how we do it. You need to do it that we do. 
we have built and have a platform that is tuned for what Arrive needs, but then we absolutely do that last, that last mile is white glove custom because these large shippers are going to do it the way they do it. And so we do have to connect to the myriad of snowflakes and then within our walls, get it into a normalized fashion. And so there is that balance of, of uh, doing what it is that the customer needs, regardless of, of if it's the way you would like to do things. And that's also, you know, we had talked earlier about adding new technology to industries that are established and older. Sometimes the industry isn't ready for the new technology. Um, anybody in logistics or supply chain world knows that EDI is alive and well. Like all the technologists would love to come and say, we've got APIs, just connect to our APIs. It's like, no, we do EDI. We, we want to send you 214s and we want you to send us a 204. <laughs> and so doing business with and connecting with these large shippers, we have to talk their language. And so while we do have APIs and we can connect that way, we also fully embrace the technologies that are needed and are, are table stakes in this industry. And so it is kind of one of those places where you have to meet the domain where it is and introduce new technology where the opportunity exists. I, I couldn't agree. It just the passion and desire to be best in class for such a variation of size of, of customers, <laughs> providers. Um, so much is driven by cost, right? Like there's so much cost focus. It's a unique situation and from that fractured environment of like, I think the largest brokerage is way under 10% of the total market. Of uh, it, it is a huge opportunity for anybody who can find a way to create that gigantic baseball mitt to catch all of it, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's an amazing opportunity. It's a huge challenge. It is. And not only is it the large challenge as far as how much money's out there, how many brokers are out there, but it's also the number of customers. We, we work with thousands of shippers and we work with tens of thousands of carriers. Now, the shipper wants visibility into like the tracking and where their shipments are. Well, when you work with 20, 30,000 different uh, carriers, there's lots of different technologies they use to track those shipments. And we might have one load with a carrier using one technology and another load with a different carrier using a different technology. The shipper doesn't care. The shipper wants to see the visibility and tracking of all of their loads. And so one of the things that we bring is we're able to aggregate across the large swath of carriers and bring a unified picture to the customer in the way that they want to see the data. And so that's you know an area where people sometimes say, oh, the brokerage model, it's old, it's gonna go away. You're gonna have shippers and carriers just connecting directly together. And I actually see it going the opposite direction as more and more technologies and differences come into the space. You need that brokerage in the model or in the middle to be able to work across both sides and provide that seamless value. It's awesome. So that, you know, the business component is, has its complexity. Putting together a team, um, your background, you understand SaaS and you understand being a SaaS level software team is a huge difference than even an enterprise IT software development team. You know, so obviously that's where you want to be at. 
that's your why you were brought in, right? Your success from the previous organization is must of what they it must have been what they saw. So, what are some of the lessons learned uh, over the last you know nine to twelve months? You know, outside of the COVID challenge, because I think you know that's that's impacting everybody. But there's ways around that. But I was thinking yeah. the organizational and cultural changes. How do you find people that you know have the potential to be uh, a SaaS level? You know provider participant on a team, right? That they understand that kind of rigor. Yeah, it's a great question. And what over the last 12 months that I've been working on and working on with my team is really building up that core of the organization. So Arrive Logistics is headquartered in Austin and that's where I am. We have a large site in Chicago as well. And the people that I've brought onto the team, a lot of them have been from my network, people I've worked with in the past in one form or another. Um, and as we've come in, we have then tapped our own networks. And so we're building up a, a, a group of people who not everyone has worked together, but there's a lot of connections in there to build up that core so we can have that tech company culture and feel and discipline and be able to keep a system up 24-7 with minimal if no downtime when rolling out releases and everything else. And so as we've built up that core, we've been able to now spin a story, this Arrive Edge story, that we're operating like a tech company. We, we have all of the standard tech company roles, responsibilities, and tooling. And we're using all the modern technologies. We have the added benefit of being having users on site and all those other great things. But it really is a technology organization. And so when you know I first get in conversations with people in the recruiting space, you know, sometimes I'll get them, ah, I don't want to be in trucking or I don't want to be in logistics. It's like there is so much opportunity in this world to apply technology to solve problems. The domain is just what makes it interesting. You learn a different space. Um, you, you, who said, impact. Yeah, who said taxi cabs were cool? Nobody, one of the most successful tech firms of all time, right? So, sorry, to exactly. Interrupt. And so, oh, no, 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 um, I, but I agree. It's you, you look back and you're like, oh, I wish I had been at that organization in the beginning. It's like, well, the founders of that organization saw past the industry that wasn't very cool or wasn't very sexy. And they said, there's an opportunity here. And they built that opportunity. And now that is the new coolness and everybody wants to go there. But you have to be, you have to see past that and not just look at what's going on today, but what it can be down the road. And so um, as my team uh, recruits, a lot of times we are looking for those people who can see the value going forward and want to get in the in the boat, get in the truck with us and <laughs> deliver value and build this thing that already is great and can be even greater. I'll, I'll improve the metaphor. Be in the cab of the truck, not <laughs> in the back. Right? Correct. Help drive yeah. the industry. You get to use a little cord, <laughs> make the smoke go, all the good stuff. Yeah. The other fun part about going to a new domain is all of the new puns that are completely new to you <laughs> But there is a lot of <laughs> trucking logistic puns that one of a one of the teams that we have, which is kind of a rapid response team, to be able to uh, 
to deliver things that aren't really on the roadmap but are pretty small and can just be quick value wins is the fast lane team. So anywhere we can work in a pun is is always good. It's awesome. That's awesome stuff. Well, I I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time. This is really great. And I I, I fully agree with what you're saying when it comes to these industries. You know, the real gold, the real money that still exists out there are the industries that are underinvested in technology, right? Like you look at some of these industries that have been the fintech space, right? Mm-hmm. Good luck competing there. It's just there's an oodle of money and you're just going to be fighting for a fraction of whatever. And if you ever read zero to one, that's the worst place to be, right? Or uh, what is it? Red, Red Ocean, Red Water Marketing. I forget what it's it, the idea of like, do not get into a competitive standoff. So, but Michael, I, I wanted to thank you for taking the time and, and sharing your experience and your wisdom with with our listeners. Thank you so much, Patrick. And thank you, Shelly. Yeah, thank you, Michael. We also want to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.